Well, good morning. Come on, you got to wake up this morning. Good morning. We're glad you're here this morning. Last week, we began a brand new series in the middle of the rain, if you remember that, called Thrive. And really, the, the kind of the theme verse for this entire series is John 10.10. 10. And you may know it. John 10.10 10 says this, Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have what? Life and life more abundantly. And the whole premise of the series is this, is that Jesus didn't call us as believers just to survive this life. He called us to thrive in this life. And so as we've been going this series, what we're going to begin looking at, we started last week, we'll continue all the way through this month, is what are some things in life that keep us from thriving spiritually? What are some things that happen or come into our life that keep us from thriving spiritually so that we can live a life that's honoring and pleasing to the Lord. And so last week we talked about the things that are behind us. You know, Paul said, forgetting what is behind, I press on to what is ahead. And I think one of the reasons that many of us do not thrive in our walk with Christ is because we're still living in the past. We live in past regrets. We live in past failures. We live in past hurts. We live in past victories. We're just living in the past. I mean, we're stuck back there. And what we talked about last week was this, is that if we're going to thrive, it begins by letting go of the past. Letting go of the past, and listen, looking to the future, looking to what Christ has for us ahead of us, and ultimately what we should pursue over everything else is every day pursue being more like Jesus. And so we started that with that last week. And today I want to talk about if we're going to thrive, there's another area that I think holds us back, and that's people, right? People hold us back sometimes thriving. Can I get an amen on that one, right? Okay, if you didn't say amen, you're the people we're talking about, right? I mean, now listen, when you think about people, oftentimes you say, well, Doug, that's a big, big category. What about people? I mean, you, Doug, you could talk about people that suck the life out of you. Now, we all know people like that, right? We all know people, and, and we have people in our lives that suck the living life out of us. You know what I'm talking about, right? Just, just nod your head because they might be sitting right beside you. Just kind of wink at me. I know, you're, I know you're listening, right? So we could talk about that. But what I want to talk about is the people that hurt us. See, those are the people that can keep us from thriving spiritually, and that's the people that hurt us. See, I would contend that for many of us, you've been hurt by somebody, maybe it was betrayal, and those, those feelings you have about that person, that betrayal, that hurt, that just frustration with them, can keep you from thriving spiritually, and you're just in survival mode. When you see that person, you're not even sure how to interact with that person. You're like, do I go to the opposite side? I mean, I've had it before in church before, not, not here, but when, where I came from before, there was a, there was a massive um, uh, kind of a relational uh, breaking that went on between two people in our church, and like, Hey, you know, I, 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 we only have one service. I can't come to the same service. I'm like, listen, there's 250 chairs set up in here. Sit on the opposite side and you never have to sit. I mean, we just get so messed up by people that hurt us. We don't even think clearly anymore. And so here's the question I want us to answer today. If we've been hurt by people, and we all have, right? If we've been hurt and maybe currently are hurt, how do we respond in a way that's honoring and pleasing to the Lord. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to look with me in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning. And I'm only really going to read two verses. But as you turn to Ephesians 4, I want to give you a little bit of setup. In chapter 4, verse 17 through 24, Paul really talks to the church of Ephesus about this new self. Not, you're not your old self anymore as a follower of Christ. You are your new self. And then in verses 25 through 30, he begins to talk about what that new self 
looks like. And so as we look at these two verses in 31 and 32, we're going to find out that this is right in the heartbeat of Paul talking about our new self. In other words, he's talking about as a follower of Jesus Christ, this is right in the sweet spot of how we are to act and how we are to behave. Now, it's true in all areas of life, but specifically for us today in relationship to people that have hurt us. And in this passage, Paul's going to push two things out there. Two things as we engage people that we need to remember, and here's the first one. As people have hurt us, here's the first thing we need to remember. Don't respond like the world. When you get hurt by people, when people mistreat you, when people do things to you that hurt you spiritually, hurt you emotionally, listen, don't respond like the world. Listen to what Paul says in verse 31. He lays it out. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Here's what Paul says. Listen, no matter what circle you're in, for us, it's for people who hurt you. When people hurt you, here's what I want you to know. Don't respond like the world. Put away all bitterness. Put away all wrath. Put away all anger. Put away all slander. Put away all malice. Don't respond like the world. Now, let's just be honest this morning. How many of us find that a struggle sometimes? Come on. Come on. I would raise everything if I could, right? Now, let's go through these words real fast and what they mean. When he says, uh, put away all bitterness, what does bitterness mean? Really, bitterness, the root word for bitterness is the idea of a grudge-filled attitude. It means somebody's hurt you, and you have this bitterness toward them. You have this grudge-filled attitude. It's like you've been irritated to the point where there's just a bitterness in your spirit. He says, you got to put it away. Now listen to me, we've all had relationships, and I can remember as a kid, I think I was 10 years old, and my family is at my, my mom's side, is a very, very big family, and for Christmas, we, my, my grandma lived in a house, and we were filled away, like maybe, I don't know, maybe three, 400 yards away was our house, and, and for Christmas Eve, everybody would come to our house, and when I say everybody, I mean 70 to 80 people would come to our house. You say, well, Doug, you must have a big house. No, we just, we just liked each other, I guess, so we all would get together. And I remember there was a season one year when I was about, I guess, 10 or between 10 and 12 years old, that there was a rift that went in the house, that there was a, a family feud that kind of began to go on. And I was young enough to remember that people were like whispering over here. Have you ever walked into a room and you feel like everybody was talking about everybody else? You know what I'm talking? Maybe, maybe church feels that way for you, but you know what I'm talking about, right? And all this stuff was going on. And eventually, our family had this big brouhaha, had this big fight, and my grandma was kicked out of her own house, and one sister's not talking to the other sister's not talking to the brother, and ultimately, all the cousins paid the dividends of their fight because we didn't see each other for almost three and four years had gone by. I mean, somebody had to die before the family would come back together. Isn't that sad? But there was bitterness in the hearts of all those siblings. They had this grudge-filled attitude. And Paul says, listen, as a follower of Jesus Christ, when people come at you, when people mistreat you, you've got to lay that aside. You've got to put aside your bitterness. And he says, also, you've got to put aside your wrath. Did you notice the word wrath there? That word wrath in the Greek translates passion-filled rage. Now, can you resonate with that one? You've been so mad, and you were, you, you were, you were, you were amped up. I mean, it's like you had drunk seven Red Bulls, and you were ready to take them out. That's what he's talking about, this passion-filled rage. He said, you've got to put that aside. And then he says, you've got to put aside anger. It's interesting here. The word anger here is not the, the anger he used in verse 26. If you back up to 26, he tells them this. Be angry 
but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Well, in verse 26 of chapter 4 is the word argazo, which means to be upset of, with ungodliness or to be upset with un- injustice. But that's not the word he uses here. The word he uses here is uh, orge, which means an internal smoldering. He said, listen, you've got to put that away. Now, to be upset with ungodliness and injustice is okay. But here it's a different word for anger. And kind of our English language is loose a little bit. The word orge is just this internal smoldering. Have you ever been mad at somebody and you went and you kind of let it simmer in your heart? And there were, I mean, and here's the thing, you know, some of you are the people that like me and you, when something gets mad at you, you want to resolve it quickly. Anybody like that in the room besides me? I want to resolve it right now. Some of you need time. How many of you need time in the room? Okay. It should be, you only got one choice or the other, right? You need time. Well, if you're not careful, time can lead to this. Time can be where you just dwell on it and you dwell on it and you dwell on it and dwell on it. He says, this internal smoldering that's going on you got to put it aside. Then he says you got to put it aside and put away all clamor. Clamor just means you're going out and you're letting everybody else know how somebody's offended you. You're going out to your friend groups. You're going out to your social groups. You're going, can you believe that Mandy Murphy said this about me? I can't believe she said it about me. I know that you all don't believe that. I know you don't think that way. But she said this about me. Can you? I mean, it's me going out and building an army. Let everybody else know how Mandy has hurt me. He says you got to put that stuff to rest. And he says you got to put all slander down. You know what slander is, right? It's trying to defame someone's character. We do that through rude words. We do it through gossip. He says, you've got to put this stuff aside. And then he says, you've got to put aside malice. Malice is a desire or an intent to do evil. That's malice, right? It's beyond gossip. I mean, now we're all to an all another level. Now you wish them harm. They've hurt you so bad. Now, if we all were to able to be honest in the room and talk about it, most of us would say with our personality, we struggle here. Maybe it's not bitterness. Maybe it's wrath. Maybe it's not wrath. Maybe it's the anger one. Maybe it's not anger. Maybe it's you like to talk and you're, you're a clamor person. You want the world to know whoever who hurts you. Maybe it's not clamor. Maybe it's slander. You want to defame someone. Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's malice. And here's what Paul is saying. You ready? As a follower of Jesus Christ, you are not your old self. This is how the world responds to conflict. This is how the world responds when people hurt them. You cannot respond that way. You are a child of the Most High God. Christ is in you, and we need to act like it even when people hurt us. See, here's what I know about my heart, and I'm sure it's true about you. When I let these things into my life, they weigh me down. Malice weighs me down. Listen. Because can I, can I just be okay, can be transparent and say, there's been times in my life that I've struggled with malice, and I've been a pastor and struggled with malice. There's been somebody that hurt me so bad, not that I wanted them to have an accident and lose their life, but I wanted God to let them know that they had harmed me. And, I, you know, if it required a broken bone, I was okay with that. But I, I had in my heart, you know, I mean, we all wrestle with that. But malice weighed me, weighed me down. Slander weighs us down. Anger, wrath. Bitter, it weighs us down. And the truth be told is this, is that some of you are weighed down this morning because somebody's hurt you. And when I said it a while ago, immediately a name came to your mind. And this is what your heart looks like. And Paul says, listen, if we are going to respond the way Christ wants us to respond, first and foremost, don't respond like the world. Second of all, he says this, in essence, respond like Christ. Look what he says in verse 32. He says, in other words, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, 
forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now, is that a quite opposite, polar opposites of what we typically respond and how we're supposed to respond? Come on, let's think about it. You've got wrath over here, malice over here, slander over here, and over here we've got kindness and tenderheartedness and forgiveness, right? I mean, I, I, listen, they hurt me. They need to know they hurt me, and I want them to hurt because they hurt me, right? I mean, we wrestle with that, but Paul says you've got to stop responding like a lost world, and you've got to start responding like Christ. And so he says to do three things. First of all, he says be kind to one another. Be kind to one another. The Greek word here means to be pleasant toward. Now, come on. How hard is that one, right? How hard is that one? Come on. Be honest. How hard is that? Somebody's hurt you. They pass you in, in Publix, and you just all you really want to do is throw out the foot and just trip them and watch them roll down the aisle, and you're supposed to be pleasant. The word pleasant really means to be benevolent toward. You're to be benevolent toward them. And some of you are thinking, hey, Doug, they've hurt me. They don't deserve my kindness, to which I would say this. Do we deserve the kindness of God? Come on. Do we deserve the kindness of God? See, one of the verses that should always be on our radar is Romans 5.8. That God demonstrated his love in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In the midst of my rebellion, in the midst of me walking away from God, in the midst of me not living for God, in the midst of all that, Christ died for me. We did not deserve his kindness, but yet he gave it to us anyway. Amen? Now listen, when we are hurt by somebody, first, we must choose kindness, and here's why. Because kindness reflects Christ. Kindness reflects Christ. When we are kind to others, we're reflecting Christ. Secondly, we want to choose kindness because kindness is evidence that we belong to Christ. Kindness should be the evidence. It should be, we talk about fruit around here, the fruit of being a follower of Christ. I know Nick and I have this conversation a lot about what is fruit. Well, one of the fruits of showing that we are a follower of Christ is the kindness we show toward other people. But let me say another reason that we should show kindness is because kindness is pleasing to the Lord. When we are kind to others, it's honoring to the Lord. And another reason we should show kindness is because when we show kindness, uh, we'll be blessed for our obedience. When we show kindness, God will bless us for the kindness that we show. And so if we're, when we are hurt by others, if we are going to respond like Christ, first of all, he says, be kind to one another. And then in verse 32, he says this, be kind to one another, tender-hearted. So we're to be tender-hearted toward one another. Now, this phrase tender-hearted in the original language means to have strong bowels. Now, that's, a, that's like, what, what in the world does that mean, right? To have strong bowels. Well, really, what he's, what he's saying here is this. Bowels was, a, was in a Greek expression, which for bowels for the Greek person was, a, was, a, was kind of the, uh, your, your stomach, your bowels, your intestines was the seat of your emotions. That's what they believed. And so when he says, be tenderhearted, he says, I want you to have strong emotional convictions at the very core of your being. I want you to have a strong emotional conviction. And here's the conviction I want you to have. I want you to be compassionate. We know that because he uses the word tender, right? He says, listen, I want you to be tenderhearted to those people. In other words, we need to have a deep conviction to be compassionate to the people that have hurt us. Now, is that hard? Is that hard? Man, it's hard. Now think about it. When people hurt you, here's what Paul's saying. I want you to be kind and benevolent toward them, and I want you to be tenderhearted and compassionate toward them. Well, when I'm hurt, those are things that usually don't pop into my mind, right? 
And Paul says, this is what it means to respond like Christ. Now think about it. To be compassionate towards someone, he's literally saying, I want you to sympathize with their whole story. We all know this saying, and maybe you don't believe it's true. I do believe it's true to some degree, and not all the time, but most of the time. Hurt people do what? Hurt people. But here's what I know in my life. Most of the time that people have hurt me, it's because something's been going on in their life. Maybe they're frustrated, they're struggling, or they're hurting, or they don't know Christ, or something's going on that kind of propelled them to that moment where they say or they do something that hurts me. There's a spiritual struggle that's going on maybe in their heart and life that has led them. And so if I'm going to be tenderhearted, that means I need to be compassionate and realize maybe something's going on there. Maybe something's happening, and I need to show them grace grace. Anybody in the room ever hurt somebody? Not physically, but emotionally? Come on. You wish they had shown you grace? You wish maybe they would have been more compassionate toward you? See, here's what I can tell you. Unfortunately, I'm going to make you a promise this morning, and I hope it does not come true. Promise is that probably some point in the next 25 years before Jesus calls me home or comes back, whatever, and you stay around and we grow to a church of 2.5 million, I don't know, whatever God has for us, I'm probably going to hurt you. And it's not going to be intentional. But you know what I would want from you? I want you to go, maybe, what's, God, what is going on in Doug's life where the enemy is maybe attacking him that's caused him to ignore me when he passed by me or to say something a little more harsh than he should have said something or to respond to me in a way that wasn't appropriate? I mean, I would want you to have compassion and show me some grace. And I think you would want the same thing, right? He says, listen, if we're going to respond like Christ, we need to be kind to one another. We need to be tenderhearted. And here's the big one. Because I know when we talk about, listen, when we talk about tenderhearted, here's what I know some of you think before we go to the next one. Before we talk, when we talk about tenderhearted, here's what some of you think. Okay, if I'm to be kind to them and to be tenderhearted to them, and I'm to show them compassion, some of you think that's a sign of weakness. Showing them compassion and sympathy is a sign of weakness. And I would contend with you, it's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of spiritual maturity. That's what it is. And then he says one more thing. If we're going to respond like Christ, he says, be forgiving of one another. He says this in verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. If we're going to respond the way that Jesus would respond, yes, we need to be kind. Yes, we need to be tenderhearted. But last of all, we must be forgiving with one another. Now, I want to talk just a little bit about forgiveness. And so things we learn from this one simple statement that he makes, if you get into the context, if you look into the way the word is written, the word, how it's used in the sentence, there's a lot of things we learn about this idea of forgiveness. The first thing we learn is this, is that forgiving people is not optional. It's not an option you have. Forgiveness is not optional. In fact, let's just say that together. Forgiveness is not optional. Now, actually say it like you might mean this. You ready? Forgiveness is not optional. You're like, well, Doug, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What if they haven't asked me for forgiveness? Or so here's the foolishness of that thought. You're assuming forgiveness is for them. Who's forgiveness really for? It's for you. Because they may not even know they've hurt you, right? They may not even know they've said anything. But you're harboring all this bitterness and you're harboring all this anger and this rage inside of you. And when you truly cancel the debt with that person and you forgive them, it will bring liberty to your soul. Forgiveness is not optional. Some of you say, well, Doug, well, wait a minute. Well, don't, doesn't my heart need to be in the right spot? Don't I need to feel it before I forgive them? And I would say, no. We know from Scripture that the heart is what? Deceitful. The heart will never lead us to the right place. In fact, there's a lot of times in marriage counseling, I've told couples this. I never forget this. There was this one couple I was counseling about 
I guess maybe 12 years ago, and they were talking about the relationship, and, and she was talking about some stuff, and he was talking about, you know, I just don't, I just don't know what to do. And I said, listen, listen, listen. They were, they were all talking about feelings and, and feeling it before they did it, feeling it before they said it. And here's what I told them. I said, listen, sometimes you just have to do what is right first and ask God to help your heart catch up. See, Micah 6, 8 says, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with our God. Do justice means to do what is right. And forgiving someone is the right thing to do. And even if your heart doesn't have to be, listen, you have to do what is right in forgiving them because you know it's right. And say, God, would you bring my heart along the way? See, Jesus even talked about this a little bit, Matthew 6. He said, if you don't forgive others, your heavenly father won't forgive you. Meaning, if you don't have a heart that's willing to forgive other people, that means you've never truly experienced the forgiveness that God is offering you. Because when you experience the forgiveness that God is offering you, you want to share it with other people. Why? So forgiveness is not optional. You don't have a choice. I've had family members, when all that brouhaha broke out, just literally say to me, I just don't know if I could ever forgive that person. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Now, I know it hurt. I know it stung. But you're saying, literally, I can't. I'm going to spend the rest of my life bearing the weight and the pain of a bitter heart towards someone. What kind of life is that going to be? Is that going to be a life where we thrive and we're living and we're excited for the Lord? Is that going to be a life where we're, we're weighted down? And so it's not optional. Second thing I want you to know about the passage we see here is that forgiveness is a conscious decision. He says, forgive one another. A, a conscious decision meaning this, it's a conscious decision to cancel their debt. When you forgive someone, you are consciously saying, in essence, I'm forgiving your debt. I'm canceling your debt. A better translation would be to freely pardon them. Freely pardon. You know what freely means, right? No strings attached. Not I'll forgive you if, I'll forgive you when, I'll forgive you but, none of that. It means to freely pardon. Probably the best example I could give of that, at the end of every president's uh, kind of their time in office, they always get to end with making pardons, right? Now, who are these people? These are people that have been convicted and they're in what? They're in jail, right? They are paying the price for the mistakes. And the presidents come along and they pardon people. Now, when they pardon people, literally they get to get out of jail and they're treated as if they had never committed the crime. Pardoned. That's how we are to forgive other people. Forgiveness is a conscious decision to freely pardon people in our life. Now, that doesn't mean it diminishes or minimizes your hurt. It doesn't. It doesn't mean you're advocating what they've done to you because you're not. It doesn't mean you have to be their BFF because I would contend that sometimes forgiving is remembering so you get away from that relationship. But forgiving is a conscious decision to freely pardon them. Third thing I want you to know about forgiveness is this, is that forgiveness is a commitment. It is a commitment to no longer leverage the offense against them in the future. It is a commitment to no longer leverage the past offense over them in the future. How many of you are married and you've had a moment in your marriage where you had a, a fight? Uh, it's okay to say that. You fight and, and there was a moment when you fought and you said something. Anybody ever said some things you didn't, well, you shouldn't have said, and you may have meant it, but you shouldn't have said it. And then you come back and, and you say, I love you, honey. You're the, you're the jam of my jelly roll and you're the best thing ever happened to me. And I, I'm so sorry. 
And then six months later, you get into another fight, and you go back into your closet of all the things they've done wrong with you, and you pull them all back out and leverage it over. You know, have you ever done that before if you're married? That's not forgiveness, right? That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is a commitment to never leverage the past offense in the present or in the future situations. See, when we have that commitment, here's what we realize. I, as a, as a follower of Christ, who was once dead in my sin, who have now been alive in Christ, I have been forgiven thoroughly, and therefore I must forgive thoroughly. Does God come along with us when we mess up and go, oh, oh, wait a minute, Doug, you remember when you did this six months ago? Does God bring up our past sins over and over and over again? No, he doesn't. According to Jeremiah, he says, I will remember their wickedness how long? No more. That when we sin and we ask forgiveness, our sins are swerved from the east to the west. God doesn't somehow have this great memory where he calls up all the sins of our past to remind us how terrible we are. No, that's the enemy. The enemy is the one that does that. And listen, forgiveness is not an option. Forgiveness is a conscious decision, and forgiveness is a commitment not to leverage the past. It's a willingness to forgive thoroughly like you have been forgiven Thoroughly. One more thing about forgiveness I want you to know is this, is that forgiveness reflects Christ's character. Isn't that what he did for us? Father, forgive them, for they just don't get it. They don't know what they're doing. And see, my prayer is this, is that when we realize what Christ has done for us, it will become a motivation in our heart to forgive somebody else. Because when we think about what Christ has done for us, listen, you say, well, Doug, they hurt me bad. Listen, there's no offense that anybody has ever committed against you that is worse than the offense that you've committed against your Heavenly Father. There's never going to be offense. You will never be hurt as bad as our Heavenly Father has been hurt by our sins. And so we need to remember that when we forgive others, we are reflecting the character of Christ. And because of what Christ has done for us, it should be a motivation in our hearts to forgive other people. So here's the question I have for you this morning as we close. When people hurt you, how do you respond? Do you respond like the world with, with malice and slander and, and anger and wrath and bitterness? Or do you respond like Christ with kindness, tenderness, and with a heart to forgive? Now, let me just say this this morning. I've been around the block for a while. So here's what I know about me which I'm pretty sure is true about you, that being kind is not easy, being tender is not easy, but forgiving is probably the hardest of the three. To truly, listen, not America version of forgiveness, not your version of forgiveness, but God's version of forgiveness is probably the most difficult of all. And I believe for many of us in the room today, maybe it's the lack of forgiveness in our heart towards somebody that's keeping us from thriving and it's holding us back in our walk with Christ. And so here's my challenge to all of us. For those of us in the room that are believers, a couple of challenges. Number one, maybe there's somebody that you need to forgive. You need to forgive other people. Jesus even said this way in Matthew 6. He said, before you bring your offering before the Lord, go make it right. Maybe there's someone that you have hurt you, or maybe they don't even know, and you need to forgive them. Listen, before you step out of this time and go into a small group, before you go home, or before you beat the Methodist to go eat somewhere today, before you do any of that stuff, you need to pause, and you need to make a phone call. You make a house visit. You need to do something to go, I need to make this right with someone. Some of you in the room today might need to have somebody in your heart and in your mind that you need to forgive. If you're a believer, maybe you've got someone like that. Or if you're a believer, maybe the person you need to forgive is you. Maybe there's some things you look in your life, 
some past failures, some past regrets, and you've not forgiven yourself. Well, let me just say something to you. I want to encourage you, but I want to rebuke you if you think that. You ready? It not it kind of arrogant to not forgive myself if Jesus has forgiven me? If I've been forgiven by the Savior himself, isn't it a bit arrogant to think that I have to hold the offense against myself? And the answer is yes, it is. So some of you, you may not have to forgive other people. Maybe the forgiveness you need to do is toward you. You need to forgive yourself for your bad attitude. You need to forgive yourself for the decision you made you shouldn't make. You need to forgive yourself for your past sins and failures. And you need to walk out of here liberated. See, when we don't forgive, whether it be ourselves or others, we will be weighted down. But when we do forgive, it will liberate us. And then maybe there's just somebody here this morning. Maybe you don't know Christ. And all you need to do is receive the forgiveness that Jesus offers. Listen, our sin sent Jesus to die the most brutal death known to man. And even though his death was brutal, even though the pain is unimaginable, in the midst of that, he still extends an opportunity for forgiveness. To forgive us of our sins and to give us the hope of eternal life. And maybe you need to receive that this morning. So wherever you're at, believer or non-believer, we've got to wrestle with this idea of forgiveness and how we respond this morning. I'm going to ask you right now. Everybody stand with me if you would. Everybody stand. I'm going to ask you with every head bowed and every eye closed. Let's just go to the Lord. Lord, I love you. I thank you for today. And God, I first pray for that person in the room that maybe, maybe doesn't know you as Savior. That today that somehow only as you can, you would remind them that we are wicked at the very core of our being. That we always, when we follow a heart, will always bend toward walking away from you and rebelling against you. But even in the face of all of that, Jesus offers forgiveness. Forgiveness that comes by putting our faith in him. And maybe there's a person here today, Lord, that needs to receive that forgiveness. To simply acknowledge their sinner and trust Jesus as their Savior. God, would they do that in this moment? Then, Lord, I pray for those of us that are believers in the room. When I talked about people that hurt us, for many of us, a name popped right into our head. And as we talked about it, maybe we look at our, our relationships and maybe we've looked at those and maybe we, we can be honest to say that we responded more times like the world than responding like Christ would have us respond. But today, Lord, I pray that we will make this commitment that we will respond when people hurt us like Jesus would have responded, that we will be kind to them, we will be tender-hearted to them, but most importantly, that we will forgive them, that we will make a conscious decision to freely pardon them, that we would make a commitment to never leverage the past offense over the present or the future, that we would forgive them because you first forgave us. And may that be our motivation. So Lord, just be with us in this moment. My prayer for us as a church is that we're not a church that just survives but we're a church that thrives. Not thriving just because I want us to be, you know, living a joyful life. But Lord, we need to thrive because we are surrounded by people who don't know you. We are planted around subdivisions of people who are lost and are right now watching Face the Nation. Or right now watching Sports Center, Or right now watching something else. And what they need more than anything is a relationship with Christ. And Lord, so it's imperative that we thrive as believers so we'll be motivated to go after those people. Go after them and bring them and point them and share them the hope that we have in Christ. So God, if we're going to thrive, 
we got to put aside the things that are holding us back. And for some, that's unforgiveness. And today, we may, as believers, may we make a choice to forgive. God, just be with us. Change our hearts. Move in our lives. And help us see the truth of where we're at as it relates to forgiving others. For it's in your precious and your holy son's name we pray. Amen.